All 193 countries of the United Nations have declared it a concern of all nations, and the European Space Agency has made tackling it a key priority. Now, ESA and the UN have joined forces to highlight this topic of global concern, space debris. I'm Rosa Jesse, editor at ESA's Spacecraft Operations Centre in Germany, and in this podcast series, we'll speak to experts on space debris, space policy, space law, and more. Each podcast episode comes with a corresponding infographic, beautifully illustrating the issues raised. Find them in the podcast notes at isa.int slash space debris or at usa.org. Episode 6, Learning from the Past, Where Today's Debris Came From, with Vitaly Brown and Jorge Del Rio Vera. Yes, hi, my name is Vitaly Brown and uh, people call me a space debris engineer. And I'm working in ESA's Space Debris Office, where we are dealing with all the different aspects related to debris. My main focus there is uh, essentially on space debris modeling, which means uh, how can we basically translate uh, what we see from that environment into what we know about it, and uh, how does it apply to maybe to future missions or even mission design to mitigate uh, the creation of more space debris. Hi, Rosa. Uh, I'm Jorge del Rio Vera. I work in the United Nations Office for Other Space Affairs in the Space Applications section. There, what we are trying to do is to bridge what we call the space divide, which is the, the gap that exists between countries that have space capabilities and those who don't have those capabilities well developed. So we are providing them opportunities to, for instance, access space, like deploying a satellite in, into orbit, a CubeSat, or opportunities to run microgravity experiments in in facilities here on Earth. Hi both, thanks for joining us. So, our planet is surrounded by space debris. Some new fragments that were created just in recent years and others have been drifting in orbit since the early days of space exploration. Jorge, why is it so important that we understand just where this debris came from? Well, it's it's, it's really a very important topic and it's I, I believe it's a, it's a very hot topic. We need to, to understand what has happened in the past to, to try to improve the future and, and try to make sure that space, uh, the, the space environment is sustainable so that the space activities can continue happening and because space is, is really a fundamental part of uh, the infrastructures that we are using in, in, in societies today. Understanding the past is, is helping us also to protect the future space forensics. I mean, you can think about the space forensics, trying to, to discover what has happened and, and try to ensure that we are uh, building up on that, avoiding the mistakes that we have we have made in the past. There have been about 550 fragmentation events and of all the objects that have been launched to space, about 5% have created space debris, which might sound a very small percentage, 5%, but that has led to thousands, hundreds of thousands of fragments. Really, it's most of them very small to be seen from Earth. Too small to be seen, but traveling at really high speeds and still having such an impact. Vitaly, what is a fragmentation event? Whenever we are talking about space debris, we could first think of satellites that terminate their mission or end their mission and then they're either left in orbit and continue being up there as dead satellites or you bring them down and nothing is left over up there. 
but um, there's a, an, there's another possibility that those satellites that enter mission or even they are still operational uh, blow up. They ex they might explode or they might even collide with each other. That's what we call a breakup event where we gen might generate thousands of fragments. Uh, it might be even a bit more complicated in the sense that we have seen um, objects uh, separating from their uh, satellites. It could be pieces of insulation, for instance, that uh, happen to separate from the parent object with very low velocity. And in all these occasions where we saw essentially new objects being generated and we could clearly trace them back to originate from another parent satellite, uh, we call them fragmentation events. And that's why we come up with this number of about 550 confirmed events. And amazingly, we actually have a breakdown of how different types of fragmentation events have added to the debris environment. Um, on top of the list of types of fragmentation events and the causes of such events is propulsion, creating nearly 40% of all debris objects. So Jorge, how bad has propulsion been for space? Well, I, th I think we, we can group uh propulsion with also electrical events that uh, uh, because what we are talking about is about energy that is stored in 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 the satellite it's either chemical basically chemical energy energy that that is stored as propellant or uh, in the batteries and and those two propulsion and electrical account for roughly almost 50 percent of, of the of the fragments that uh, that have been created, um, and and that's a, that's actually um, an issue. It's it's something that we have learned from from the past that uh, if you leave satellites with either propellant or with the batteries charged, not passivated with some residual charge, that may cause that the satellite at some point, because of the condition of the satellite, when the, the, the they finish their their lifetime deteriorates, that may lead to explosions. Yeah, we've certainly had an explosive past in space. Hopefully the future will be a little less exciting in that way. Vitaly, the next category, the second worst type of event for creating huge quantities of debris, is actually intentional events. Please, Vitaly, explain why anyone would want to blow up their own spacecraft. Yes, it essentially means that the people in charge of a certain mission might decide at some point that it's reasonable to let their satellite blow up. But why would you do that? Um, one reason is that you could think of hazardous materials on board and upon uh, atmospheric re-entry, which you are anticipating. Uh, you, you, wanna, you want these materials maybe to dissipate in the atmosphere so that it's less likely to reach ground. Uh, that's one reason. It could also be... Um, for military reasons, where you where you where you test uh, whether you can destroy satellites or not, which has also happened in the past, but people have learned that uh, these things create many fragments, and the higher this happens, the worse it is because they remain uh, alive for quite some long time. So uh, the community is aware that this is really something you you don't want to do on orbit. So we then have fragmentation events with unknown causes. These have been responsible for about 15% of space debris fragments. Vitaly, what are these mysterious debris-creating events and why don't we understand what happened? Yeah, well, whenever a breakup event happens or whenever we see pieces in space, it's basically not the satellites telling us, uh, I suffered from a breakup 
due to this and that cause. So we have to infer from what we are seeing. And um, it's uh, sometimes very difficult because you see things breaking up up there. You see there's plenty of fragments, but you also knew that that object that suffered the breakup didn't necessarily have any uh, uh, energy stored on board, neither propulsion, maybe neither electrical equipment apart from a battery. But then uh, you see that um, all the evidence you have doesn't really uh, support a claim of a propulsion-related event, neither electrical nor uh, aerodynamics and such. And whenever we see it, there's a, a lacking evidence to put it clearly into one of the categories we have, we say it's an unknown event. And then maybe we revisit at some later point to see um, if we have better information available or not, and then try to recategorize. So the next type of fragmentation event that we'll talk about, responsible for creating about 10% of debris fragments, are collisions. Yes, so near-Earth space is actually a confined region. It has its limits uh, in the sense of how many objects it can carry. That means that uh, the more objects we have, the more congested that region is, the higher the likelihood for a collision if you just operate satellites randomly, for instance. And for debris, that's certainly the case. So we've seen already uh, dead satellites colliding with debris pieces. And we, of course, also know the um, major collision event between the Cosmos and the Iridium satellites in 2009. Uh, what we definitely want to avoid and what we can do if our satellites are operational is to maneuver them such that uh, we prevent collisions from happening if we are capable to do so. Yeah, it's amazing to think that in the seemingly vast space that collisions of such relatively tiny objects could happen. But we are bombarded, really, with collision warnings for the spacecraft that ESA flies every day. So this is a really um, dramatically increasing problem. If I may add, I mean, that, that's, that's a very important point coming, coming up to, to, to the future. We, we see more and more satellites being deployed and, and the rate of satellites that is being deployed and the number of launches, satellite launches that is happening, it's... it's increasing and, and last year we had like an average of two launches per week uh, putting satellites out there. Two launches a week and that looks set to increase quite rapidly. And one of our last categories of debris creating events is aerodynamics responsible for about seven percent of the space debris that's been created. Jorge, what is an aerodynamic fragmentation event? Well it, it's those ones that are uh, due to a satellite uh, suffering from the atmospheric drag and uh, because the satellite is, is in contact with the atmosphere, the, the upper parts of the atmosphere, and that creates pressure on the satellite that leads to the satellite breaking up or pieces of the satellite breaking up. Now responsible for over 5% of debris fragments is the category of anomalous. So, Jorge, could you describe what an anomalous fragmentation event is? I think Vitaly mentioned before the deliberate, and, and, and I think one thing that we have to make clear is that there are many things that are happening out, out there that are accidents, and, and anomalies enter, enter into, into this category. There can be sometimes the, the, the separation of... of uh, pieces of, of, a, of a satellite that was not intending to, to separate from the satellite. I mean, Vitaly mentioned the example 
before of a thermal cover of a satellite that was not well attached and, and was basically lost in, in, in space. This is the, the kind of, of anomalies we, we are talking about, and they, they are very, very hard to predict. I mean, we, we can try to avoid them as much as we can through testing and, and through the utilization of new materials, but sometimes it's, it's impossible to prepare for the unplanned. Yeah, and so that seems quite connected to our final category, uh, which is accidental. So what's the difference between an anomalous fragmentation event and an accidental event, which are responsible for creating just under 1% of the space debris? Yeah, for, the reason we categorize them like that is for uh, the anomalous, we see uh, separating objects uh, for the accidental ones. Uh, we it's actually maybe an anomalous event, but where we could basically find the root cause for this. For instance, the Haitomi satellite, which uh, was shed into pieces a few years ago. Uh, there, the mission teams were reporting that the attitude control system basically was wrongly connected. <laughs> and then what it did, it started spinning and it built, built such a high spin that the satellite basically disintegrated. And that's where we uh, assign the accidental category. We can basically clearly trace back to a design flow in the design of the satellite. While for the anomalous in general, we don't necessarily know. So that's it. That's a pretty detailed breakdown of the different ways that debris can be created in space. And of course, knowing more about it means that we can uh, really try and prevent this from happening in the future. Um, but these numbers that we've talked about have explained the origin of the space debris that's up there now. Um, but of course, international behaviors and standards have changed since the start of the space age. So the amount of debris created by different events could look quite different in the future than it did in the past. Vitaly, looking ahead, will we be facing the same issues to the same extent? When space activity started, there were not so many satellites out there, but of course we didn't know that much about how spacecraft actually work and what the environment up there is. So we have a very, let's say, explosive past where um, those breakups happened and uh, to a large extent shaped the environment we see today um, because of the fragments that resulted from those breakup events. But over that period of time, we also learned uh, how to better build those satellites, how to prevent those events from happening. So uh, the lessons learned might uh, imply that uh, we can expect less of those explosive breakups to happen in the future. But uh, due to the fact that uh, the fragments are out there from our explosive past, uh, this uh, leads basically to an increased likelihood for collisions to happen in the future. So we are transitioning to uh, an environment essentially where collisions are a major threat not only due to the fragments that have been produced and they're out there right now chasing the satellites, but also due to the increased uh, traffic that we are uh, seeing unfolding in these days. There are things that we can control and things that we cannot control. Um, new constellations and, and new satellites are put up there. They have the means to avoid the mistakes that we had in, in, in the past and then to try to work in an harmonious environment, uh, trying to avoid collisions. What we cannot do today is to avoid the mistakes that we have created that have still an impact and, and the risk of having a collision with a, with a piece of space debris today is 
much more higher than than 10 years ago. And it's uh, unfortunately that's that's the situation we are in, and it was created by by the past. But we have learned uh, a lot, and hopefully we will be able to be reducing the amount of, of fragmentation events that are happening through some of the things that we already know. Yeah, and so collision avoidance is going to be really important, and ESA is actually working on automated collision avoidance that could really help to solve this problem. Vitaly, a lot of the detective work and the categorizing of these different types of debris-creating events has been done by ESA and the Debris Office and published in the annual Space Debris Report. Could you talk a bit more about ESA's role when it comes to better understanding humanity's record of debris creation? Yes. Um, we've been talking a lot about these different categories right now and uh, uh, how we can learn about what happened to a certain satellite that suffered a breakup and that's exactly what we are doing so the moment we start seeing that there's uh, a fresh cloud of objects that we uh, have not seen before we we try to infer uh, where they come from trace it back to some parent object which might have suffered a breakup and then try also to assess the root cause of what happened it's then why are we doing this um First of all, we have, of course, to identify all those fragments we can see from ground to determine their orbits and see which paths they would follow, take them into our catalog of known objects uh, and uh, follow up on those. But second is also that uh, we want to use this information to assess the, the additional risk or the change in the environment that resulted because of that breakup event. And we are operating missions at ESOC. And they are also interested if that breakup happened in their vicinity or not, and what this actually means for the missions. Um, so whenever a breakup happens, uh, we actually create a report which says uh, by how much the uh, risk our emissions encountering has actually increased due to that event. Um, we are further uh, doing a lot of technology development at ESA in general, uh, and that's more related to prevent breakups from happening for our satellites. We are also executing ground tests. We study battery failure modes, for instance. We have a look in the laboratory what happens if you shoot at those batteries with uh, projectiles representing micrometeroids or orbital debris. Uh, we study thermal runaway conditions or radiation effects on those satellite on those batteries in the representative environment and try to see how we can maybe protect batteries or shield them in their environment. And we also come up with recommendation to mission designers uh, what, what, what they should do in their designs, basically to make sure that their satellite is less likely to suffer from a breakup later on in their mission. Yeah, that's a lot of work in avoiding debris and trying to prevent any more from being created. And there is also the Clear Space mission, which uh, people can have a look at. There'll be a link in the podcast notes, and that's actually going to try and bring down a piece of space debris for the first time. And Jorge, how about the UN's role here? Thanks for the question. So the, the UN, we are doing a lot of work to promote international cooperation. And the basis of the work that we are doing is multilateral uh, cooperation among states. On, 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 the, on the particular topic on, on space, the, there is a committee on, of the United Nations, which is called the Committee on the Peaceful Uses of Outer Space abbreviated COPUS, and that is the committee where members of the of the committee, which are which are countries, 
are, are meeting to discuss pressing issues. And, and that committee has in its agenda uh, matters like space debris and long-term sustainability of outer space activities. If you look at uh, the, 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 the most important guidelines that, that, that exist that are called the, the space debris mitigation guidelines, the, the name of that the full name of that guideline is Space Debris Mitigation Guideline of the Committee on the Peaceful Use of Outer Space, COPOS. And also from COPOS, the, the, there have been discussions and those discussions have been translated into the guidelines for the long-term sustainability of outer space activities, which are guidelines that all the, all the countries will, will strive to, to follow. And engineering work is very important, but if there are no, there is no policy in place that is forcing the engineers, and I'm an engineer, I know that we, we like um, to try technology, but if there is a policy that is forcing us to do things in a certain way, which is the, the, the right way, uh, th that's really helpful. It's, it's a guidance. On the other hand, um, the, the, the United Nations Office for Outer Space Affairs is supporting countries through active capacity building efforts on one hand, to raise awareness about the, the space debris mitigation guidelines and the guidelines of, for the long-term sustainability of outer space activities. And on the other hand, uh, helping them to implement those guidelines. Yeah, so it's the guidelines that are shaping our behaviors and what's acceptable, and it's the technologies that are really allowing us to uh, fit within those rules while still benefiting from space. Um, so thank you both very much for joining us in this podcast. And I'd like to ask you to just give a quick final message uh, that you think is really important for people to take home if they just remember one thing from what we've talked about today, what that would be. So Jorge, how about you? I think it's space is there for everybody. We are all, all the countries are, are using space in a way or another. And it's only through collective responsibility, collective decision, and, and collective work and monitoring, such as sharing satellite ephemerides to, to avoid collisions, where we can take advantage of the past to build a, a cleaner future. It's also collective responsibility to create the conditions, including the development of, of technical skills through the development of technical capabilities in, in countries that don't have those uh, and enable all the space actors, including the new ones, to, to be better equipped to follow the guidelines and to work for a sustainable future of outer space activity. That's, that's basically my takeaway. We have all to work together to have a cleaner future in space. Yeah, I cannot add uh, much more to what Jorge already said. I fully agree to this. And I would just say that that there's a lot, a lot of work that went into developing or coming up with these recommendations and guidelines and even space law uh, that allows us to prevent debris already in the early design. And it's much, much cheaper to do this uh, debris mitigation already in the design steps when the satellite is still on ground. And finally, when we launch a satellite and are prepared to prevent all the breakups from happening uh, due to internal causes, we have still some responsibility while being up there and uh, be aware of who else is there and uh, avoid uh, the collisions from happening. So, thanks for listening. 
You can find out more about space debris and the work being done to tackle it at isa.int forward slash space debris and at usa, O-O-S-A, dot org and follow the hashtags SpaceCare and Space Sustainability on Twitter to join the conversation.